Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to Mandalorian TV Talk. Star Wars TV Talk. Mandalorian TV Talk. This, this, is, this is not the way. This is not the way that we start things, but it is the way that we started things today. I'm Bo. How's it going? We're going to be talking about episode two. And I got to tell you right off the bat, we've got some incredible, I guess, like creature work. Is that the right phraseology? Like what we've seen in this episode specifically with all of these, what appear at times anyway, to be very like like live action, stop motion-esque creatures. I would imagine like even that spider droid or that crab droid that we saw, like even though I've, I've got to imagine that was CGI, the way it moved felt very kind of stop motion and practical. We know we saw something very similar with IG-99 or IG-88, IG, not IG-88, the IG unit from last week blanking on his name. Anyway, point is that we saw him moving in a very stop motion type of way. The way that the Mandalorian is utilizing both practical effects and kind of this merger of digital effects and practical effects to really make the world feel like alive and visceral and physical. It's it's so good. This episode, I think, really took it to whole, whole new heights there. That creature that was inside the crab droid that it kind of like put it together and clearly had been putting itself together was fascinating to me because, I mean, we can see specifically from its eye that it is not the same creature as those giant, you know, uh, I don't know, ogre looking things that, that they fought on the top planet. This is something different. This is something possibly human. I was actually watching this thinking, did Grievous die on Mandalore? No, no, it's not him. But it's that same sort of concept of this thing that used to be a thing that is now just essentially eyes and, you know, a couple of vital organs and a sack. And that's it. Except for him, it might even just be an eye. I don't even know what's going on there. He whipped out a couple of extra arms too. So very Grievous-esque vibes from that standpoint. But a terrifying creature. And I mean, like that was the thing that we saw throughout. There's just a lot of terrifying creatures throughout Mandalore. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to move on from that dude, but I, I've got to wonder, like, do we know him? Like, is that is that a Mandalorian that survived the purge by like, like literally tearing apart its body, like his body and then like building up, you know, all of these different things. And now he's literally like trying to suck the vital fluids out of other creatures. I mean, just horrific in nature. And what an awful tragedy if that's the case. We just don't know. But that's my current theory. I don't know if we'll ever find out. I don't know that we need to find out. I don't know that this needs to be anybody. It just is a thing. And it's creepy. Mandalore is a planet post the purge. Very interesting, right? Like, so we saw the battle of Mandalore at the end of the Clone Wars at the end of, well, the series, the Clone Wars, right? And we saw the empire coming in. And then of course, somewhere between that moment 
and the Mandalorian, we know the Empire really kind of just destroyed the planet, purged it completely, glassed it essentially. While Mando talks about how it used to be this like lush, you know, very life-filled planet, even in the era of the Clone Wars, it was basically barren, all except for these dome cities that were all across it. And the cities themselves were these almost cathedral-esque buildings here, there, and everywhere with people kind of filling the streets. One of the tensions that has existed between this series and the Clone Wars that came before is the idea of what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? The Clone Wars presented this kind of pacifist nation state under the rule of this Duchess Satine. She was combating these terrorists that wanted to return Mandalore to the old ways in the form of Death Watch. But in both of these scenarios, nobody on Mandalore was like holding to this creed that was introduced in the the Mandalorian series. And so with Bo-Katan here and her kind of back and forth with Din Djarin, with the Mandalorian, they're, they're going into really exploring how both of these situations, how both histories have some truth and how they kind of are inter- interwoven. You know, Mandalorianism to some extent is in itself a religion in as much as it is a people or a place. Like, you know, the, the creed itself is a very much a religion. In fact, Mando even says at one point, you know, these are the weapons are literally part of my religion. This is this is not something they're trying to hide. And so the notion that at the one point Mandalore was very much more of like a religious government or a religious state or something like that and then over time we've seen that a more kind of secular movement has come in for the Mandalorians through you know, folks like Duchess Satine and even Bo-Katan, but even, so this is the weird thing, right? Bo-Katan was rocking with Death Watch. Death Watch says they want to hold to the old ways, but at the same time, they're not necessarily connected to the creed or the religion of the old ways. And yet, Bo-Katan was performatively doing some of those things. I think we see kind of the evolution of kind of religious practices, especially as they relate to governments, where more often than not, you have a lot of folks in government who are really performing religion for the appeasement of the people. But even in this situation, most of the people don't necessarily hold to the creed, or if they do, it's in a very different fashion. I wonder if if we ever get a chance to see a restored Mandalore, if we're going to kind of see this merger of these two people groups, these two ideas of what it means to be a Mandalorian, where you have the more kind of religious sects, but then you also have the more secular sect, and they're going to be kind of more interwoven as opposed to, you know, with this great division between the two. I think it's nice. We see this journey that Man- that Mando has been on, right? Like that Dinjarin's been on, where he's been so wound up in his religion that at times it has actually hurt and kept him from being able to protect the ones that he loves. He's had to fight that concept. He's had to kind of like, you know, deconstruct his Mandalorianism, if you will, in order to be kind of this true warrior and really kind of true to, I think, the spirit of what perhaps the Mandalorian uh, mindset is all about. But at the same time, we now see Bo-Katan, who her and her family have completely thrown away the religion of their ancestors, completely kind of, you know, turn their back on it. And we see that she actually needs to maybe get a little bit more of that, you know, old time religion, if you will, so that ultimately we're going to find these two, I think, meeting in the middle. I don't necessarily mean any kind of romantic entanglement, although that's kind of interesting now that I think about it. We get a chance to see the Mythosaur, I believe is what they called it. And, you know, there's the tale, of course, Mandalore and how he was able to conquer it and ride it and tame it and all this other stuff. I'm wondering, because a lot of I've seen a lot of folks say that Dinjarin, this, you know, perhaps will be his journey, that in fact he was going to be riding this thing. I'm not so sure that's true. I'm wondering if we're actually going to see Bo-Katan be the one to actually tame this beast at some point in this story. Mando already has a lot going on for him. For one thing, he's got the Darksaber. And I think it'd be interesting if we'd see these two individuals 
as the future leaders of a reclaimed Mandalore, bringing ultimately both people groups back into the fold and, you know, meeting in the middle, so to speak. Her now finding more of that kind of connection to the religion of the Mandalore and all that kind of good stuff by following in his footsteps and riding this beast. And in Jaren, this Mando who has been so tied to his religion and yet at the same time has been raising a Jedi child and, you know, now carries the Darksaber. I just, I don't know. I see a lot of parallels in how both of their journeys are so very different, and yet it's bringing them to the middle. You know, in many respects, it's, it's kind of like uh, Captain America and Iron Man, right? Like, if you look at the journey throughout the MCU, or at least from the beginning of their stories all the way to Endgame, one of them, Captain America, who is the self-sacrificing man, needs to learn to advocate for himself and to be able to get a little life for himself. Then you have somebody who's so selfish, like, you know, Tony Stark, who has to learn how to get to the place where he makes the ultimate sacrifice and saves the universe, both starting on opposite ends of the spectrum and needing to kind of move towards the middle. And in that case, to some extent, even like replace each other. But regardless, I think that's what we're seeing with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin. And at least that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Look, there's so much that happened in this episode. There's so many different things to talk about. Would love to hear your thoughts. Head over to Twitter. Uh, TV Talk FM is the Twitter handle. That's twitter.com slash TV Talk FM. Let us know your thoughts. Use the hashtag Star Wars TV Talk, hashtag Mandalorian TV Talk. This series just continues to be so good and it makes me so happy. It's so nice when you've got a television series that's just firing on all, all cylinders and just going strong, especially here in the third season, which is when a lot of series kind of drop off. So kudos. Well done, Mando. That's going to do it for me for today, but don't worry. I'll be back in a flash. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.